The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. So the good news about it is that you could be offering the same service, but just with a few tweaks. Yeah. You can, you're not that stressed out, burnt out business owner anymore. You're literally doing the same thing. You're just packaging it in a different way and you're making more money. Um, Yeah. So it's just tweaks that you need to do, but also interesting what you said about the, um, you know, if someone's cheap versus expensive, it's like yeah. a it's a psychological bias that we have. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember what the experiment where it was, but they there was literally an experiment where they gave two groups. They gave people the same. It was I can't remember if it was chocolate or something. It was, it was some the sort same of, exact product. Yeah, same. It yeah. was food exactly the same. It was just priced and packaged slightly differently. One was like super expensive and the other one was really cheap. And their perceptions of how good that piece of chocolate was were so different Yeah, because of how, because they just thought this can't, if this is so cheap, it can't be good. Right. Of course. It's all your mind is telling you, well, this can't taste good. Yeah. And then the opposite, the kind of inverse of that is, well, if this is that expensive, then it must be good. Yeah. And like, that's just human like nature we can't change that that's how people think so oh you probably could do that with wine you probably could take two bottles of wine tell them one is 150 dollars and the other one's 15 dollars and even if they're both very expensive and they'll think the 150 is spectacular and the 15 dollar bottle of wine is you know like cheap grape juice yeah exactly so yeah there's always a lot to unpack i find with like around pricing and like bringing our own i guess trauma emotional trauma to it yeah. As business owners. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hey, I'm Ina and I help experts to launch a three to 5k consulting offer and to sign their first client in 90 days. Okay, uh, Ina, 
Thanks for coming on the podcast. Before we get started, let me just say for anybody listening, um, if you're listening on one of the platforms where you can leave us a review, please leave us a five-star review. If you're watching the video on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button and like the video so we can keep putting out good content, sharing the knowledge that people bring to the podcast, including our guest today, um, Ina Bakalova, right? Is that how you pronounce your last name? Almost. Okay. <laughs> Bakalova. Okay. And I want to say it is Ina. Some people, at least in the States, pronounce it Ina. And you told me it's not. It's like Gina without the G, right? Yeah. We'll so get that easy straight. To people can, yeah. Okay. And um, I appreciate coming on. I know we met recently, I think through a publicist or a PR person yeah. uh, who works for you. And uh, I'm looking, I'm interested to share your story and to get into some of the things that you're teaching business owners to do through e-commerce and on all the kind of stuff that you're that you're doing. So why, why don't we go back though? And I mean, you're very young, but let's uh, <laughs> let's start with where you started, where you grew up. Uh, I can tell from your accent, you're from Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn, New York. Isn't that what you sound like? No. <laughs> and uh, you can tell us all that stuff and, and you know, where you grew up and how you ended up where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, of course. So I'm British, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody can't pick that up, we got a problem. I don't know what a Brooklyn accent sounds like, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't sound like mine. No, definitely not. Um, No, so I, I mean, yeah, you say I'm young, but I'm actually not that young. Um, I feel like I've had a bit of a convoluted journey to where I am today, but it's exactly where I want to be. Um, So I graduated about five years ago now, and I always wanted to have my own business. I didn't like know what that would be I had no idea that it would be like an online business at all right um and I started several ventures after university um I had a job for a year which was surprising because I'm surprising surprised it lasted that long it was that Um, bad no so it was really it was it was a sales role and it was very entrepreneurial which is why I think it lasted so long but after working for myself now for quite a while I realized that I'm just the worst employee. Like I just <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs are like that, right? You just have trouble working for people. Yeah. And it, it's like this, it's so weird. It's like this thing inside you, like, I, I don't want to do as I'm told. I have to right. do it my way. It's right. Yeah. Right. But probably being in sales early on is pretty, it's a good, it's good experience. A lot of people shy away from sales. They're they're uncomfortable about it. You know, the whole salesman idea. So probably getting that out of the way when you're young. And just starting is probably a good thing for people, right? Yeah, definitely. So in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but sales is kind of frown, like looked down on. It's same not as, a very, same here, yeah. yeah, it's not a very like prestigious career, but I just, um, I got to work for a, a fast growing tech company. So that was really interesting, but also I just was not prepared for how useful sales would be for what I do today, because when you're starting your own business, you are, you have to be a salesperson. Yeah. You're like, promoting well, and selling everything that you're putting out there. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, at the beginning, you know, you'll, you'll struggle to even sell your stuff for free probably because right. you're not, you know, you're not that good, but you get better at it. And I just think me working in sales was just such a good um, call, even though I didn't know it at the time. So now when I speak to younger people about, you know, they're wanting to go and get a job before they start their own business, I would 100% recommend going for like a customer facing or sales role because you're going to have to do that when you set up on your own. Right. So get it while you're young. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I did a few, started a few other businesses. Like I had a food product business, which I'm happy to talk about the learnings from that, but uh, that didn't work out. And then I sort of fell into online consulting um, and helping property or real estate um, developers to mm-hmm. attract investors and clients on social media. So it was very niche, um, but because I was so niche, that allowed me to grow my audience quicker to get so many more clients that, than I would have if I was like a generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how I fell into helping other people start an online consulting business. All right. Well, let's go back to how you fell into it. So so your first business you said was a food products business. What what were you doing and why did, how did you end up? You were you working for a tech company doing sales. So you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Let me go do food products. That, <laughs> like what was, where'd that come from and what was it? Yeah. So always knew I wanted to do like start my own business. Um, and I was at this company. I'd also bought my first investment property at the time. Okay. And I was like, look, I've got some sort of buffer, you know, I've got money coming in every month, I can afford to start a business. What I really didn't think about is just how much capital you need to start a product-based business. Like it was such, it was a really valuable lesson, but I didn't need to learn it (laughs) like that. Um, But yeah. You were creating your own product or you were selling other people's? I was manufacturing it and selling it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was making sales, but I wasn't taking, I was literally just paying supply, paying my suppliers. Right, breaking even, no profit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I actually realized is in that industry, you either need to raise a load of money or you have, you have some sort of financial backing behind you right. to make it happen. Yeah. To make, to deal with it until you really get going. Yes. And the margins are also so slim. So right. huge you know, volume. Right. You can't really bootstrap it. You have to yeah. just. What was the product? So I'm Bulgarian um, right. and we have, it's like a Bulgarian spread that's like okay. very well known there. It's made out of roasted peppers and aubergines. Okay. It's kind of like Bulgaria's ketchup. That's how oh, I describe okay. it. Okay. Um, and yeah, all of my friends absolutely loved it whenever they had it around my house. Um, and they were always asking me for it. So I just started making it and. I just like rebranded it for the English market. Um, and so it was like a family recipe, but they didn't really sell this type of, let's say it was a condiment, right? Because it's like ketchup or mustard or whatever. So they didn't sell it in UK? No, no there, was, there's a, there were a few shops that did sell it, but it was all, it just wasn't as good as the real thing. Um, so yeah, that, that was it. And, you know, it, it took off, but it, it ultimately I went bankrupt because well because you had to create the product and find somebody who can make it in bulk volume right and then package it and then put it in jars and then I mean it's a it's a long road to getting to market and like you said it's a very you know one thing's off in the whole supply chain price wise you have no you could like lose your shirt it's it's a very complicated especially for a first business it's a complicated thing so definitely um, okay. and just the biggest thing I underestimated was how to have any sort of business, you need to sustain yourself. Like right. you need to take home some sort of salary. And if you're not doing that, then it's just not sustainable. I know it's really straightforward, but we kind of just forget about the fact that we also need an income. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Did, now, did you, did you write a business plan for that business I, and- I did, yes. Um, but I you didn't know. put yourself in there as a like 
salary or staff or labor or anything? No. Well, no, I thought I had enough income from my uh, right. Property. So well, you don't need to pay yourself. Yeah, which was yeah. so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I think enough. people make that mistake, and then they're stuck with this business that seems to be making money, but they're not getting any money out of it. So at the end of the day, they're losing money because they're putting in all their labor, which does count for something. Yeah, you're it's, giving that up, right? So yeah, yeah, you, good, you good create, lesson though. Yeah, you create an expensive hobby essentially. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I um, you know I always tell people if you're you know if you're the employee and you're not getting paid and you own the business, you're really just an employee of a business you just happen to own. You're not really the business owner because then you'd have people working for you and doing all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. I'm sure though, that learning the whole, you know, going through that experience of manufacturing and maybe co-packing and learning about labeling and all probably was a good, a good experience, right? Valuable experience. As I say, probably didn't need to learn it the hard way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Uh. but I, I am that kind of person that I have to kind of do something to really, yeah, learn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was invaluable because I just, I started everything from scratch. I had to get like the, um, you have to get certain the raw ingredients, right? And everything. Yeah. You have to source things. You have to look at suppliers working with them and, you know, negotiating contracts and stuff. It was very useful. Um, but that is why I love helping people to start an online consulting business because it's profitable from the start. And right you'll have enough margins to actually grow. Um, yeah. So I think I think it's good that I've had experience of kind of both sides. Um, and that's why I recommend online consulting as the thing if you want to start um, as an entrepreneur. Okay. So, so how did you use the word fall into, right? How did you fall into doing all the online um, stuff, social media, all that type of stuff when, yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, so falling into <laughs> yeah so it's um when you look back at your journey it usually makes sense but at the time it doesn't so okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but I was I had a lot of my network was mainly in property so mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of networking looking to buy some more property investments like, like multifamily homes and things like that or office building what was your what were you buying um so I don't know what they're called like residential Residential, yes. So we call them multi-lets, essentially. Yeah, the, like, yeah, the same thing. Multi-family, yeah. we call it here. It's the same thing. So you okay. might have a house with maybe three or four units in it, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But but we um in the UK we sort of rent them out by the room. Oh yeah, they don't allow. Most towns don't allow you to do by the room in yeah. in the United States. Yeah. We don't have enough space over here. So right. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. And yeah, anyway, I was looking at, I was, I, I was very lost and I was looking at how to grow um, and how to get more investments. Yeah. Um, and my network just started, I wanted to learn more about property investing. So I thought, okay, if I, um, what can I exchange? Like what skill can I exchange in order to learn more about these businesses? And I realized that I was really good at copywriting and at social media. Okay. Um, just from my- your own doing it and playing around. Yeah. And like studying it. Like I love reading about, you know, uh, sales and marketing psychology. And I was just kind of like applying that to my own social media. Um, And these property companies started asking me, okay, can you do our social media? Can you do our Just to promote, to get tenants for them? No. So to get, um, to build their brand, but also to attract investors. Okay. So the developers will, you know, they'll need investment in order to To scale their business. Right. Sure. So 
So yeah, and, and I had, just and you had one property at the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you had so when they rent out a room, what do they do? A shared kitchen? You share? You, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like okay, good. So you had yeah. one, and then you figured. No, sorry, I had two by oh, that point. Okay, you're a mobile. Yeah. So. At that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite, but yeah, I, was, well. I was like sustaining myself by okay. this point. Um, and yeah, and so I just started doing that for several clients. And in doing that, I realized I love marketing. I don't actually want to learn more about property. It's not the business for me. Again, it's a very um, development. It's a very capital intensive business. Yep. You like invest money and then it has to you know, it's there for two, three years. And if you don't sell that development, then it's just a lot of risk. Yeah. It is a lot of risk. Yeah. Um, it's very incremental. It's not that creative for me anyway. Um, but yeah, I just fell upon, you know, social media and online marketing and just realized I loved it and I was good at it. And it sort of grew from there. Okay. So you started picking up clients and you were basically consulting with them, but you, you were also writing their copy, posting, right? Isn't that what you do for your clients? At the very beginning, that's what I was doing. And I quickly moved away from that um, because for lots of reasons, but I essentially realized that they would get better results if I taught them how to do it okay, and gave them the resources for them either to hire someone or do it themselves I realized that I could have a bigger impact if I was more of a consultant as opposed to actually executing on it. Yeah. So you weren't responsible for doing their stuff every month. You would come in and say, okay, here's the problem. This is how we fix it. You'll introduce them to somebody, or maybe they already had somebody or help them hire somebody and then deal with them on a monthly basis. Now, does that make it a shorter term relationship? Like after working with you for six or eight months, now they're good and they only maybe interact with you once a year just to check in or... Is it a monthly consulting? Yes. So it is a much shorter term thing. Like typically I would work with clients for about three months and just like turn around their social media. Yeah. And that's like three months is just what worked for my particular client. For some people, it might take longer um, or shorter. So yeah. So at that point, I had to start building my audience because obviously to sustain that, you need more volume. Yeah. Because um, you have to, you have turnover, right? Exactly. So and then I started building my audience. So you started doing your own social media and your own building of your brand. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what, what were you, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but what were you, what are the things that you were finding with the, and this is specifically to real estate and we're going to get into niche marketing, I think a little bit because it's important. I think people totally miss the advantage of that. What kind of things did you see them doing wrong or maybe not doing at all in when you would find these clients that needed you? Mm. So I love this question because with a lot of my clients, current clients, they don't see just how much value they add, right? right? Um, If you, they were doing so many things wrong with their social media. Like they were just, all the stuff that came naturally to me, they just had no idea. And I think seeing that made me realize this, how much I right. It, It was valuable what you knew. Exactly. And it's actually quite hard to step back and like look at your own skills, stuff that comes so easy to you. You just think it's the same for everyone, but it's just not the case. Right. No. So they were just, oh, it was the same things. Like they were being very corporate in their marketing. Um, It was like a messaging issue, right? They're not communicating clearly and simply (laughs) what they do and who they're looking to communicate with and work with and bring in as an investor. 
A lot of people do that. Lawyers are notorious for, (laughs) yeah, for talking like complicated, I don't know, make themselves feel better. You know, like they're smart and they got to prove to everybody that they're smart. And then nobody knows what to talk. Even when I try and simplify it, I'll bring a friend on and say, hey, read this on my web, on a web page. And what do you think? And they're like, I have no idea what this means. Now, to me, it seems simple, but you know, and yeah, people get lost in their own, what is it like jargon and the terms of their industry and what, yeah, especially real estate and development. Exactly. It sounds very similar to law. It's got lots of jargon, lots of, I guess, technical knowledge, but the average person doesn't know anything of that. So you just, I always did the test actually, when I was a copywriter, I would, when I was doing copywriting for clients, I'd write out like their webpage and literally show it to a randomer in a cafe and be like, can, do you understand what this company Yeah, that's a good way to do it, right? Yeah. So I always do that with all of like new marketing now is just people have got to understand it in like 10 seconds or right. Because they'll them. they'll they'll move on. They'll glaze over. They'll they won't. They're so inundated with information. Exactly. If they don't understand your stuff. Simply, they're gone. Exactly. Um. So I imagine they they were doing a lot of things that most business owners do online with their marketing, yeah. and that's like not clearly getting their message across, not articulating their value, not grabbing attention. There's so much to it, right? Um. And I was just kind of fixing all of that. Okay. Well. Um, I, I also want to get into what you mentioned before about niche marketing, because I think a lot of people think, you know, oh, if I really target my what I do and I and I I whittle it down to, you know, investment people or construction, you know, con- construction people in the multifamily market, really specific that it will somehow limit their business. And it always is the opposite. Mm-hmm. It, it, it actually increases their business because they know how to target. They find the people. They know the message. And they don't get lost trying to communicate with every everybody and everything about what that, they can do everything. I mean, I could do a lot of things as a lawyer, but I don't go tell everybody all of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, if somebody refers it to me, I'll tell them whether I can do it or not. But I don't necessarily have it on my website and I don't necessarily market towards it because if you're everything to everybody, you're really nobody. You're nothing to nobody. I just that sounds mm-hmm. a little, not very well. <laughs> so said, what would you, you know what I mean? what would you say your niche is in law? Yeah, I I. I work, I work with uh, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and family-owned businesses. Perfect. You know, now, I do, I do estate planning and wills and trusts, and I do commercial real estate, and I do residential real estate, and I do business work. But my focus is just on that marketplace, and I do all those things for those people. So it doesn't mean that I don't get referred to other people through other things, but I don't really hold myself out you know, mm-hmm. specifically outside of those those verticals um, because yeah. just to, you know, it's too much. I, I can't be everything to everybody. No, that's exactly what I do. Like on the front end, you are niche. And then, you know, you might pick up clients from other people that aren't in your niche, but that's with the marketing, you have to be so targeted. Right. When you're starting out, I think obviously over time, like say you're growing an audience, you can afford to go broader, but. Yeah. Slowly, but surely. Yeah. Because if you do a good job for your client, who's in construction and they have a friend who's got a business that's not necessarily construction and they love what you do. They're not going to say, well, I'd refer you to Ina, but she only works in the construction business. Like they don't even have that. Mm-hmm. I get referred things for law. I'm like, How, why did that person even think? Well, because they know that I'm a good person and I take care of clients and they didn't even think whether I could handle a 
I don't know if you have lemon law. I recently I hooked up with somebody who's got a lemon law claim, and I've done several of these things. A lemon There's law. Lemon law. There's are, <laughs> there are laws in the United States that vary state to state, where if your car, if your automobile experiences problems within the first two years, the same problem over a period of time, it's considered to be what's called a lemon, meaning it goes back to the dealership. They give you all of your money back and you start over. And there, there's a whole system of filing these claims with the manufacturers when you qualify and so forth. And I do that for clients, but I, it's nowhere on my website because it's not something that I want to market for. But because I work with other people and because they know that I'm good at solving problems and take care of them, they just said, well, I would call Mitch if he can't do it. He'll find you somebody who could. And, you know, I'm helping them. So I think, you know, if you're good at what you do and you're good in that marketplace, other things will come. Mm. You just don't have to feel like you got to tell everybody. Exactly. I always I always tell clients about niching down because I find it's always a sticking point when we're starting. They just the resistance towards niching down is, yeah. is a lot. Because you um, feel like you're you're giving up something or you're passing up opportunities. It's not true. Yeah, it's it's and I always try and explain it like if you don't niche down, you're barely gonna have any leads. As soon as you niche down, you're gonna have niche specific leads and those more general leads that you wouldn't have attracted otherwise if you were right. more general in your marketing. Yeah. If yeah. not, people don't think of you and you can't reach that marketplace and say, hey, this is why you should work with me because I, I, I'm an expert in, well, we can't use expert as lawyers, but maybe you can. You know, I'm, I, I concentrate on or I have a large clientele in the restaurant industry, in the automobile industry. And, you know, they want to know that you as their marketing person understand their business. So if you're everything to everybody, they, they don't they don't they don't get that. And you're right, it totally goes the opposite. And other leads end up coming in because you're doing a good job and you expand into other, you know, marketplaces. Mm. The huge problem with with uh, entrepreneurs, they they don't yes. they don't get it. Yeah. I mean, we, it's like opening a store up in a clothing store and just having clothes for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it, you could be target, it's a little hard, but you know. Yeah. And the other thing with niching down is that you can then have premium pricing. You you can charge yeah, you more. Can demand right. Exactly. Even even if you are you know essentially doing the same thing, right? You're not doing anything different. You're just right. the go to person. But it's a perception, right? Yeah, it's about right. the perceived value. Even if you're doing the same thing, right? So yeah, because you know ultimately, I think in most businesses, even as a consultant, right, you can't always compete on price. It's not possible. You will mm-hmm. compete on price to the point where you are at a business or losing money and you don't even know it, you can't always give people breaks. You have to say no to some people who come to you and say, listen, you know, I, I know somebody will do this for, you know, a hundred dollars an hour and I charge $400 an hour. Well, that's great, but I can't do it for a hundred dollars an hour. Cause I know that I will be losing money the moment we start talking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of people don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't get that. Yeah. So this is why I'm, you know, why I help other people to launch uh, essentially a high impact, high ticket consulting offer, because it removes you from that comparison. Yeah. It becomes, it's like um, apples and pears, like your, your prospective clients can't compare you because you're just in a league of your own. Um, And, you know, when you're trying to be the most competitively priced, be the cheapest, it just becomes a race to the bottom. Yeah. your clients are always going to go with the cheaper option. Right. But, and then you're and then you're attracting more clients like that. 
yeah, you're yeah, you're attracting more clients and also that expect other- price to be lower and lower and lower. What deals can you make me? And yeah, it's a yeah. it's a spiral. It's it's a bad road to be on. Exactly. So I would always rather work with, you know, five clients that are paying me, uh, you know, higher ticket because they're just a different caliber of client. And for you, that's operationally fewer people to look after versus 30 clients that are paying you much less. Yeah. They make you crazy. Yeah. You'll never sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's volume. I mean, you can't do volume as a consultant. Exactly. And also the I know it's a bit of a cliche in the online world, but you know, what was the saying? I don't I don't even know who made it up or who said it, but it's when people pay, they pay attention. And it's so true. Like if you are helping with anything where the other person needs to be involved and they actually have to be part of the transaction and the transformation, then they need to have skin in the game. Yeah. And you know, if they're if they're paying more, then they are financially invested. They're also emotionally invested as well, and they're actually more likely to do their bit and to actually get a result that you're offering. Yeah. So, yeah, there's loads of benefits to charging high ticket. I think for both your business and for the client as well. Right, because you don't want it to be more important to you than it is to the client. I mean, you're doing it to make money, but you're also doing it to benefit them. If they don't recognize that, go on to other people, find somebody who. Who does? Who will pay the fee to work with you to get the benefit that you that you bring to them? Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment, or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit, created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet. And look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Mm -hmm, Exactly. 
And and also when you charge high ticket, you then have more resources to really deliver yeah, for that client. Yeah, you do a better job. Exactly. Right? And then it reverses itself because now you're doing a better job and you're getting referred to other people of the same caliber where you're charging money and your rate. I always try and raise my rates a little bit every year and mm-hmm. adjust things. And you don't want to be in the marketplace where, look, I know some attorneys, they're much older, maybe they're in their 70s and 80s. They're still charging like $250 an hour for work. I haven't charged $250 an hour for my work. And I don't do a lot of hourly work, but I haven't charged those rates in 15 years. That's quite low, right? Very low. Yeah. Most people in the in the business world are in the $400 range. If you're at a large firm on corporate side, it could be $800 or $1,200 an hour. Now they're working for large corporations and doing work for them, but they also have a lot of more overhead than I do as a, as a small you know lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they never, I, I call them street lawyers. They, they were just like in a little community doing their, their work. They're a generalist and they never really raised their rates. And now it's hard to go back to their clientele and say, Oh, you know, because of the cost of living and because the $250 an hour doesn't even pay gas in my car anymore, I need to charge you four fifty an hour. Forget about it. You're not going to be able to do that. So you got to kind of, you know, move your clientele up and some people will fall off, right? The people mm-hmm. that think you're too expensive or don't understand your value or aren't getting value from, or like you say, aren't engaged. So they're like, well, no, Ina doesn't really help me too much. Well, that's because you're not doing what she's asking you to do. They're better off going somewhere else. They won't give you a good review. And then you, you know, you keep working your, your way up. Exactly. The, the way I think of it is there's two ways that you can increase as a consultant, your, I guess, your pricing and your revenue. And that's either... So you need to get more clients, right? Yeah. So you either decrease the price so you can get more clients. Bad thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, or um, increase the value and therefore increase the price. Right. Um, so I would always rather increase the value because then you can, and what you're offering. Right. Or the perceived value because you don't necessarily have to change anything. It's right. It's how. a perception. Sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then you're just working with a completely different caliber of client. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to say on like messaging and and yeah. marketing. It's so interesting. All right, so uh, you were working with. So how long did you work with the in the construction industry in the real estate industry? So that was for about a year. Okay. Um, it was it, it wasn't a niche that I really wanted to serve. Um, I've always so I had a few clients that were just business owners. They weren't in property. They were just you know business owners, consultants, um, and I loved working with them. I just continued to work with property people because I had it paid carved, the bills, right? You had the market. Yes, and I was in a niche, and I was the like in this little London corner of like property investing. I was the go-to person for social media, so mm-hmm. I just kind of rode that wave um, until about a year ago when I just completely transitioned to working with consultants because that's what I always wanted to do. Um, so you're basically a consultant that helps consultants. Yeah, in a way. Right? <laughs> in a way. I find it weird because there's so many, like, I don't even know if the term is consultant. I don't know what the term is because some people have different terms that they use for what kind of I do yeah um and like in the online world people are like experts um coaches yeah advisors uh, advisors uh, yeah, yeah like, the whole thing it's hard to define it yeah um, so yeah. so but consultancy and consulting is a very broad 
mm. umbrella, right? There's people consulting in every industry in the world. So are there industries that you work more with that you've found that you are better working with a consultant who works in the food service business or who works in, you know, whatever versus others? Um, no, not specifically. I've just had, I've had so many different clients and I think that's why like I'm really good at creating the offer with them and whatever niche they're in, just really creating a super strong offer that they can sell. That's going to provide value that they can also sell a high ticket. Um, and I just think that's like my superpower is just crafting that offer. Um, and so it's messaging. I'll- like getting their message really clear, really mm. focused, really understandable. Yes, and also the, the people stru- are trying to reach. Correct, and and also the structure of that of the mm-hmm. offer, like not with what you're delivering, it has to be sustainable, and yeah. you have to be able to take on you know several clients at once and not right. not be like really stressed out. So a lot of what we do involves really streamlining it and looking at where you can use like digital resources or things that yeah yeah, automate things and like create your own kind of documents and IP that you can then use rather than you know exchanging your time every time you need to teach them something right um so yeah it's a bit of messaging but also the structure and then like how are you going to sell it as well right that's an interesting comment because I think sustainability is something that people don't really focus on. Even when I started the podcast uh, three years ago, I I realized very early on that if I didn't automate my process and and streamline the way I design an episode in terms of, you know, I have some ads that are in there and some comments and I, they're all pieces that I throw together every time I would burn out and and say, well, why am I doing this? This is too exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I've done the same thing with my practice too, because yeah, I don't start with, I mean, maybe clients think I do. I don't start with like a white piece of paper when you're when you're like, you need a contract, that would be ridiculous. I've spent 30 years doing what I do. And I have clauses and things that I've used and contracts that I start with and then modify them and change them from there based on whatever I'm doing. But I think that a lot of people, they don't, uh, they don't see that. And like you said, they, I mean, look, if they start with you at the beginning, I guess that's great. Probably a lot of people don't, they get to you and they're already working and they need to be fixed and helped and they're exhausted or whatever. Right. I think that that's one of the problems is they dive in and they're like, well, what are you going to do when you get 50 customers? Well, that's a problem I want to have. That's not true. I mean, it sounds like it should be true, right? Because I can deal with those problems. I got too many customers. No, you can't. That's the same problem as not having any customers. It's It could really, you know, ruins your whole experience and your quality of life and your, your income and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, if that's an English expression, certainly yeah. an American expression. Headless and, chicken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's... Um, I mean, yeah, you got a lot of good things to say. And I think that you you get it when it comes to this stuff that a lot of people don't. And unfortunately, when they get it, if they haven't met you early enough, it may be too late. Like they may have burned out. They may have just said, you know what the heck, when I'm going to work for somebody, I can't deal with this anymore. Mm. And then they find themselves unhappy a year Yeah. Later. But do I don't know if you find this. I mean, I feel like a lot of it is to do with our own mindset around money as business owners, because yeah. we... And we make our prices and what we charge so personal. Right. And, and you know, a, a lot of, again, clients I work with, they think that it's unfair to be charging what they should be charging. Yeah, I know. I have the conversation with attorneys all the time. They're like, I can't raise my prices. I mean, you know, my clients, I, I do this for them, but can they afford to pay that? I go, well, what about your family? 
What about your children? Should they be short shorted because you're not charging at least the market rate for what you do and, and therefore you need more clients and whatever? And then then they say, you know what, you're right. And they raise their prices, $25, $50 an hour, whatever, something that they can do. They can't do it quick, too quick. Their whole life changes. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people, I also think that people, like you were saying, they undervalue themselves. They're not comfortable saying I'm worth that until you push them out in the world and they do it. And then they realize, you know, it's also, it changes the perception of their value. If your price is too low, people are going to be like, well, how much could you possibly know if you're only charging, you know, $200 an hour, Yeah. right? When the other guy's charging 450. Maybe mm-hmm. I should go with the 450 guy because even though it's more money, he probably knows what he's doing. And that's another thing I think they they overlook in the mm-hmm. messaging, right? Mm-hmm. So the good news about it is that you could be offering the same service, but just with a few tweaks. Yeah. You can, you're not that stressed out, burnt out business owner anymore. You're literally doing the same thing. You're just packaging it in a different way and you're making more money. Um right. Yeah, so it's just tweaks that you need to do. But also, interesting what you said about the, um, you know, if someone's cheap versus expensive. It's like yeah. a, it's a psychological bias that we have. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember what the experiment, where it was, but they there was literally an experiment where they gave two groups, they gave people the same. It was, I can't remember if it was chocolate or something. It was, it was some the same of, exact product. Yeah, same. It yeah. was a food, exactly the same. It was just priced and packaged slightly differently. One was like super expensive yeah. and the other one was really cheap. And their perceptions of how good that piece of chocolate was right. were so different Yeah, because of how, because they just thought this can't, if this is so cheap, it can't be good. Right. Of course. It's all your mind is telling you, well, this can't taste good. Yeah. And then the opposite, the kind of inverse of that is, well, if this is that expensive, then it must be good. Yeah. And like, that's just human, like nature. We can't change that. That's how people think. So. Oh, you probably could do that with wine. You probably could take two bottles of wine, tell them one is $150 and the other one's $15. And even if they're both very expensive and they'll think the 150 is spectacular and the $15 bottle of wine is, you know, like cheap grape juice. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's always a lot to unpack, I find with like, around pricing and like bringing our own, I guess, trauma, emotional trauma to it. as Business owners. Yeah, I think a lot of look, even as professionals, a lot of people undervalue what they do, they're uncomfortable about it. They're like, you know, I don't think my clients will pay for that. And they'll all go away. And and that that's not true. I mean, look, there is there is a, a, a What's the word? A an understanding of your marketplace, right? So if the if the going rate should be in the four to five hundred dollar range, you can't just start charging eight hundred, thinking everybody's going to go to you unless you have some you know accolades or some reason why people would do it. But you know, even in 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 the world of mediation, a lot of attorneys get older and they they mediate cases between people, right? Some of them charge six hundred dollars an hour, some of them charge three hundred dollars an hour. Some of it's experience, but a lot of it's really just perception and you know, mm. how long you've been doing it. You've, you've been moving your prices up and, you know, and, and we always have this discussion because I think a lot of business owners, they don't, they don't get it when it comes to pricing and the psychology that goes with, especially on a consultancy level with customers, because you're not talking about cost of goods sold on the, as a consultant, right? You're, you're not, there, there is no cost of goods sold really. Mm-hmm. It's just your time, a, a little mm-hmm. bit of supplies, but not really. 
It's your advice. And, yes. and, and what is that worth? So, yes. And just because it's intangible doesn't yeah. mean, you know, it's, yeah, not worth anything. Do you um, find it difficult to, when you're starting to work with somebody, to get them over that hump oh, yeah. of, of raising their price and feeling comfortable with it and how they say it and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. It's one of the first things we do is um, looking at how we create value, like what is value in in your offer and how do we create it? And also just really unpacking everything around pricing and how they feel about what we're going to be charging. And because yeah. by the end of working with them, they have to feel confident asking for that amount of money. Right. right. And they have to be fully sold. Like you're, you're the first person, you're the first sale you need to make. Yeah. You, know, you need to be so confident in what you're offering um, to be able to sell it. So that's like the first thing we do. And until we, we have that down, we don't move on because yeah. <laughs> you ever, you ever give up on somebody? You ever say, listen, I don't think that we should work together because I haven't not really listening or. I haven't yet. Okay, that's that good. hasn't happened, but I imagine it probably will at some point. I think so. I have really good guarantees with what I do. Like I will, you know, with most clients, I'll say if if you are not happy at all with what we're doing in the first thirty days, I'll give you all your money back, no questions asked. Right. Um, that's good. Yeah, regardless of how much time I've put into it. Right. And I just find like. And that's a guarantee that works for my business. There's like lots of different. Right. But it guarantees. shows confidence in what you do. Exactly. And yeah. I just find that's and really. And do, do you find that you're refunding money all over the place? No. No. So no. again, it's psychological, right? Obviously there's conditions to that. You yeah. know, there's like, if you do this, this, and this, which is essentially like the basics of what I asked them to do. Um, but it's psychological because by the end of that month, even if they haven't got the result that they wanted yet. Um, they, they've worked with you for a month. So like they'll only ask for a refund if you literally did the worst job ever and they were completely kind of blameless in the situation and they did everything you told them. Most of the time that isn't the case. So, you know, I'd be surprised if anyone took me up on that refund because by that point, the trust is there and they can yeah. see that, you know, either I need to be better or they need to be better or that they just need to continue to get right. that result. I can see people giving up, not you giving up on them, but them giving up on themselves and saying, you know, just kind of yes. you know, not being willing to do what you're willing to do. And they leave, you wouldn't get rid of them, but they go on their way and they probably don't succeed, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think that's like a really hard thing when you're, when you're supporting people through like big things like starting yeah. a business or, yeah. Um, growing it because it's hard. So I just think as like the person helping them, you have to be really clever with how you structure that journey and give them kind of quick wins because otherwise they're just going to give up. Yeah. So I, I always try and, you know, give my clients the way I've structured my, my kind of um, offer is that I'll have a few quick wins in the first like week of working yeah, together just smart. to keep that momentum. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think, I think there are people that I meet that mm -hmm. shouldn't be in business for themselves. Like they just don't have the personality. They don't have the, the backbone, right. Mm. The, 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 the do it yourself kind of thing. Now, maybe if they work with you, they have more of a fighting chance, but there are people that, you know, I mean, look, the economy is driven by not just entrepreneurs There's people that work for other people. And sometimes 
you know, they got laid off and they're like, okay, well, I should do this on my own, but they're really just not capable of doing it. They won't listen to you. They won't, you know, they don't have confidence enough to have the pricing and to, mm. to you know, convey your message. You've taught them, but you know, when they're in front of the customer, they're just not doing it. And I think that there's some people that hold on maybe too long. Do you think? Or maybe they just didn't meet people like you and they're, <laughs> you know, they don't, they that's, don't get it because everybody kind of needs a coach, but a lot of people don't use coaches. Mm, you know, most people use a coach, probably don't need coaches. They just think it's a good thing. Yeah. That's interesting. I just, cause I always hold my clients really high. I'm not like the one, you know, if someone thinks that they can do something, I would never be the person to say, no, you can't right, do of that. Course not. Right. Um, You're yeah, probably just, not meeting me too. Right. Probably not meeting the people. No, really need Yeah. Because of your marketing and because of who you're connecting with, you're finding the people that are saying, I want to do this and I'm please help me and let's do it. Exactly. I'm it's people that, you know, they've made quite a big investment. <laughs> so yeah. they, you know, you already have to be, I think at a certain level to do that, to just spend that money. Right. And yeah, to kind of, it's all really dependent on you and how you do the work essentially. Um, so I already think if you're making that investment, you are generally already at a certain level. Right. Yeah. Well, you've built your business to do that, right? So you're getting people at a certain level and of a certain quality and willing to make the investment. You don't want to pick up somebody who's just getting started, doesn't have any money, has no confidence, and you can't even charge them or expect mm. them to pay because then it just don't have the money for your services. That's not the world in which you're working now. Yeah. And I know a lot, I know some people will really like when they're selling, they will really kind of, if people have objections around money, they'll really kind of address them and walk people through it. And I'm just like, I'm not doing that because if someone's, you know, not going to make this investment by themselves, then they're probably not a good fit because I'm going to have to like right. walk them through the fire every time we have to do something right. difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, well, they don't perceive the value. Sorry? They don't perceive the value versus what they're. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just. You got to resell it every time. It's just painful. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, I remember the first, I can't remember how much it was, but it was a lot of money. The first kind of training I did, it was actually in um, property because I had no idea. And okay. if I didn't do it, I never would have bought my first property. Um, but it was so much money and it was scary. But now I like invest in things yeah, all, all the kinds time. Of stuff, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you see the value. Mm. But the first time is scary. Definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, the, well, that's the thing. Like, not everybody gets over that. Mm. Everybody takes the chance and says, you know what? I'm going to invest and find out. And uh, I do get that because I don't know what you think, but there's so much crap <laughs> on the internet. Oh, it's just, yeah. It's hard to weave through. You do things, you spend. I have spent, and I've reviewed things for clients that have spent mm. money on systems, you know, getting rich in real estate, starting your own business, whatever it is. And a lot of it is, that doesn't mean that there's not some things in those packages that are valuable if you really go through them and it helps some people, it always helps somebody, at least the guy in the commercial, right? And but that's the, right? So, and they, they always interview the people that were successful with the system. They don't interview the 300 people that didn't. Mm. didn't make it, but there's always something to be learned. But the question is, what are you getting for, you know, you're paying three or $4,000 for this system over a period of time. And there's two or three nuggets in there. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but yes. they're, look, they're selling too, right? They're trying to sell whatever it is. 
they do to you. I, mm. I'm not sure why they're selling, teaching you how to get rich in real estate when they can just be rich themselves, but. Yeah, it's, it's a weird world. Um, and I've definitely made wrong investments as well. And it's, you know, it's hard. Um, my only, well, my kind of lesson from that is just to really do your research. Like, yeah. I, you know, don't make um, like emotional investments. Really look at look at it kind of look at the person. If you can look at their track record, although it's very hard to do that online, but really do your due diligence. And especially with like kind of, you know, if you're investing like 10,000 or more yeah. to work with an expert, speak to their previous clients. Right. I think that's really important. Yeah. I always tell people, if you're going to work with somebody, try and find a client that they worked with. Yeah without being referred because if you get re references they're going to go they're going to refer you to people that had good experiences they're not going to refer you to you know you know talk to Ina she ha hated working with us and yeah. they're not going to do that so it's it's hard to uh to 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 you know get through all that stuff mm. and figure and it out we're bad at making decisions fortunately yeah but at the same time i think you know if you're providing any sort of services you also just have to accept the fact that there's there's going to be people that aren't happy. Yeah. Like you're going to, yeah, you're going to disappoint people. And that's like another thing you have to navigate is again, that's why you just have to be so sure in what you're doing, because, you know, if someone, you know, you have one client that's having an amazing experience getting all the results and then someone else that's saying this is rubbish that can't make you question yourself. You right. just have to objectively see that not everyone is going to. Yeah, as long as you're doing happy. your work and doing it right, and not everybody's going to be happy, and that's okay. Look, I've gotten even reviews. I ask all clients when we close up a matter to review me or whatever on the different sites. I've gotten reviews from people that don't exist, like a bad <laughs> review from somebody, and I look them up, and I can't even determine that this person was ever a client of me or any attorney that worked for me or, or whatever, and. You know, you can't. And so you just got to keep pushing that down and, and ignore it. And it it goes. I've gotten bad reviews from people that we went after for a client. So let's say you you're owed money and then you hired me to send a letter to say, hey, you know, you'd have to pay Ina for. And then he, he puts a bad review of me. Uh, and then, you know, but you got to bury those over time uh, with better you know reviews and better things that people have to say about just part of doing business. Yeah, I mean, with the one with the people that were leaving bad reviews that didn't exist, that yeah. could be a, like a competitor trying to. It could be, I guess. You. I can't imagine that attorneys are that vindictive, but it's possible. <laughs> you never you know. know. I send them an email like, "Please tell me we'd like to remedy this." Mm. Who are you? What was your matter? I don't recognize your name. Don't hear from them, or, or please take this down. Don't mm. hear from them. And I think they're out doing it to be, maybe they don't like lawyers. So they're going to different websites and they're putting, posting things up and making fake accounts. I don't know. I don't know who has all this time to do this stuff. It's ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah, like I would I never think of doing that. Even if I was mad to put my energy away from what I'm trying to do, to do that is mm -hmm. like, there's some wacky thing going on in, yeah, in people's I'd, heads. I'd have to be really, really mad at a service that I've yeah. received to re so so far that I don't want anyone else. I want to save other people from that horrible. Right, experience. that's would that would make sense if you think yeah. this person is so bad, yeah, and they're criminal almost that people should know about it. Okay, fine, but if you're just pissed about something no. and then you put a bad thing and then they retaliate to you and then I mean it's just not. It's not just good not, use of time. It's not worth it. Okay, so <laughs> we've had a lot of good advice during our mm. conversation. Are there other things that you want to share that you find that you know that? business owners should focus on when it comes to 
social media and their messaging and so forth that you see consistently, like some advice and tidbits for people or things that they should be careful of and avoid? Mm, I mean, not not really anything other than what we've spoken about. It's just, I truly believe that your offer is like the most important thing when you're starting out and like really getting that watertight um, and making sales organically before you start looking at ads or right. anything like that, because that is one of the biggest mistakes I see people making Just is that throw they, money into advertising and next thing you know, they got no, no business. Yeah. So you're going to burn through a lot of cash. And if your offer like fundamentally isn't good, and it's not rock solid than any money you throw at ads. Wasting your money, yeah. Yeah. So if you can prove the concept of you have an offer, you've sold it to several people organically, you know, you've done all of that, then look at ads. But if you're just starting out, I think, yeah, going straight to ads is not a good idea. Okay. So, and what's the best way for people if they want to learn about you, if they want to connect with you, interact with you, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. So uh, my YouTube channel is Ina Bakalova. I just have lots of like mini trainings on there, okay. um, but also on Instagram and TikTok as well. You can just search me anywhere. Okay. Um, we'll put some yeah. links in the show notes for them to follow. Yes. And I reply to all DMs on Instagram. So please, okay. if you have any questions, then reach out. All right. Well, I thank you. Uh, what time is it there? It's like five o'clock, uh, 4 p.m. 4, 4 p.m. Okay. It's almost 11 here. So I thank you for joining me from the UK. This is a, an international episode and um, please let's stay in touch. I always love to hear stories about success stories and everything. Oh, no. Thank you for having me on. It was good fun. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple podcasts, on Google podcasts, on Amazon music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.